Thank you so much. If you could open your Bibles now that you're standing. Thank you, Dr. Getch, for that. You know, um, I have been preaching for 17 years in Spanish. Uh, I was the Spanish pastor in Northern California in Mexico, strictly Spanish. And um, so if I break some grammar rules, Mrs. Getch was my English teacher. I hope she doesn't feel bad. <laughs> when I was, I took remedial English twice. Twice. I don't know if anybody else has done that, but Bonehead English was where I started. And for all of those who have been saved in the last few years and you're here and you feel insufficient, I, I hope what I'm about to preach is a blessing to you. When I came to college, I didn't really know how to read. And um, because of my background, I thought school was just a party place and I really didn't really study until God called me to preach, and I thought, wow, there's no way I can do this. And I came to college. I remember I had only three ties and, and um, just a couple of suits that I used to wear in, in church. But then I came, and I realized I had to wear a tie every single day. So I kind of looked like a photograph, you know, for the first month. I went to Goodwill, and I, and I bought myself a suit. And I didn't really know the difference between suits. I thought I looked sharp. I mean, it was a three-piece suit. I didn't realize there were bell-bottoms. I was just walking around, you know, with bell-bottom shoes. <laughs> People started making fun of my, my pants because they, they looked like bell-bottoms. They were like boot cuff, you know. And, um, but you know what? That didn't matter to God. Your GPA, your, you know, persona, that doesn't impress God. Your heart impresses God. And no matter what limitation you think you have, you give your heart to God. He'll, he'll do something with your life. And um, I just want to encourage you, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start with a verse that I'm sure all of you know by heart. But I want to preach this morning on the cost of following God. It's going to cost you something. Yesterday I was encouraged with Romans chapter 8. How do we fit in, you know, that all things work together for good? And, and notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask God to bless. Lord, I ask you please for your filling, and Lord, I ask you please to work in people's heart. Bring conviction, bring revival. I ask you that some of the students that are going to listen to me, they, I ask you that they would feel uncomfortable today. Please work in everyone's life. I know it's so easy to pretend. It's so easy to just go with the flow. And so, Lord, please, Holy Spirit of God, work in people's hearts today. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we live in a society that Everyone, in essence, just wants everything easy. And, and I know, we, to some degree, we, we all kind of get drunk with success. And, and believe me, I, I love to read. I have, uh, in my library, I have some books here that I left behind. But uh, we just built a, a new office for me there in, in Hermosillo. And we counted over 5,000 books already that I have. And I love to read. I love to study now. You would have asked me that when I first started West Coast. I was barely learning to get into the habit of reading. 
And so, and you, know, you always read on, you know, leadership, you read on time management, you read on church growth, and I've read my share of books on how to organize Sunday school classes and how to put that in order, finances, how to, uh, you know, report to the church, how to have all those things in order, and all those things are great. But sometimes we're looking for the secret to success. And we're looking for what is the best way for my church to grow without going through pain, without, um, you know, having to preach against sin, without having to uh, ask the people to forsake sin. And then you forget that really the life, the Christian life, it's about, it, 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 it is a matter of forsaking sin and growing in grace and forsaking sin again and growing in grace. And, and that's, that's all our lives. That doesn't stop. So in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible describes a cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses are the heroes of the faith of chapter 11. Now, it is awesome to ponder this because we have a great cloud of witnesses and they kind of cheer us on and, and we get to examine their life and their testimony. When I was a teen here in Lancaster, I played Pony League. Now, we were part of the worst team ever. I mean, we lost every single game. We would be first place if we flipped that, you know, that chart around. But I still remember my parents in the midst of, you know, I guess failure, screaming from the audience, run, keep running, you know, you can make it, you know. And, and you would think that doesn't make a difference. But it really makes a difference what the crowd is screaming, you know, when they're trying to encourage you. But we have, the Bible says, a great cloud of witnesses. And their testimony screams at us. When you really study every single one of those characters, they, their testimony is screaming at us, hey, you can finish your course. You can, you, you can do what God wants you to do. Every single one of them had to face something in life where they had to have faith. So they push us to do whatever God wants you to do. And let me repeat it again, whatever God wants you to do. The fact is that there are a number of discouraging moments in all of your journeys, in my journey. In fact, some of you may be facing those journeys today. When I came to college, my parents had said, they're not going to support me. Uh, none of those, they're not going to give me any money. They were Catholic. I mean, they, they were really pushing back. But then God worked. Then my dad got saved. And he paid all my school. Amen. God is in control. Don't be so emotional that your faith changes according to all your circumstances that you're facing. When you feel like quitting, examine the lives of all the heroes of the faith so they can encourage you to continue. We have Jacob, we have Abraham, we have Moses, David. And all of them have something to tell us. And remember this, low moments in your life, they're just God's opportunities for you to prove that you really believe what you say you believe. All those moments that are discouraging, they're just little moments that God is giving you an opportunity to prove that you really believe what you say you believe. And it's one thing to say you believe something. Another thing is to have tears in your eyes, a broken heart, and then you still continue to believe and to live what you say you believe. And so those moments come. Those moments will be there when no one shows up to your church service. What are you going to do then? Not believe what you have said you believe? 
When you don't have enough money, does that mean that you stop believing what, what, what you said you believe? When you get bad news from the doctor's office, do you stop believing what you have said that you believe? When you can't pay your school bill, you stop believing? When you lose your job? That's why we need to understand the heroes of the faith because their lives scream at us and, and, they, and they encourage us. So now we're going to see three things. I'm just kidding. Hey, that's, that's, a, that's an inside joke here for all the homiletics. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I still remember. That plagues my mind, by the way. <laughs> Anytime I'm about to preach, I'm like, I can't use the word things, you know. So we're going to look at three characters today. Amen. So we're all going to learn something here. <laughs> I want you to notice, number one, what do we learn here from some of the heroes of the faith? And what do they scream at us? Abraham, number one, screams, keep believing. And notice in Hebrews 11, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham screams, keep believing. The Bible says in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and notice verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should not, that he should uh, after receive an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him in the same promise. Now, we all know the story of Abraham, but see, Haran, when you go into, into Genesis, Haran was his home place. It was his place where he found security. This is where, that's what he had to forsake in order to follow God. And many of you maybe felt that you left your Haran because you came to West Coast and you're studying. But maybe God wants to do the same with you where he may be calling you to another land that you have no idea. See, when I came to college, I, I knew I, I wanted to preach. I still had no idea what language. I still had no idea where. And it was at a missions conference that God confirmed there was going to be Mexico. Almost towards my last year of Bible college. And I determined, okay, I think it's, I think it's Mexico uh, where God is calling but many of you, you may not even know yet what's going on, but you have to have a tender-hearted, a surrender heart for God. Abraham had no idea where he was going. He was called. He, he was walking by faith. But by the way, he wasn't asking about his social security or 401k and am I going to be all right? None of those things were a concern to him. God said, leave, and he left. Most of us, I think are so worried about where we're going. And the big question for most is, if I go, is my church going to grow? Am I going to be famous? Is everything going to be okay? A couple of years back, I had a college student from here <laughs> ask me and said to me, Brother Montaño, he said, I think God is calling me to go to Mexico. Man, I'm like, wonderful. So I have one question, though. Is it safe? I just said, is, does it matter? <laughs> I mean, is my answer going to, is that going to change what God is putting in your heart? There are no great stories of faith without great risk. Every story of faith is a story of wanting to give up, but you continue. I wonder if Abraham started to second guess his faith 
when no Isaac was coming. And they were getting older. I wonder if he had those moments where he's sitting down and thinking, did I listen correctly? Did God really tell me to leave? Is this really what God wanted? Man, it, it's almost 25 years and Isaac is not here yet. I still don't know what land we're going to. We're still traveling. And I, I wonder if he started to second guess what God had told him to do. Just like many here probably second guess the day you got here. No job came. You're behind on your school, but you're probably second guessing. Did really God ask me to come here? In Genesis 15, 5, and the Bible says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And I wonder if Abraham was like, Wow, that sounds good, but I'm old. And that sounds good, but nothing is really coming together yet. Because by now, Abraham is too old. Month by month, the only thing he had was a promise. Faith is what keeps you going. But let me tell you, faith is not just victory. It, it, it's, it's something greater than that. Faith doesn't take pain away. Faith doesn't pay your bills all the time. Faith is still greater than that. And let me tell you what faith is. Faith is just what keeps you going. If you saw our video, we lost buildings. I have faith. I was praying that God would provide. And, and you know what? We lost buildings. I didn't lose faith. I still continued. Faith is not a magical formula that everything just comes out great for you. Faith is better than that. Faith just helps you to continue. Faith gives you the strength. And you know what? Many times faith looks very different. Faith many times looks like 80 visitors, 70 saved, 50 baptized. Other times faith looks like you're just preaching to your family. It's still faith. There's no difference. It's still faith. So many are drunk on success that they compromise almost everything, every Christian distinction, in order for their churches to grow. And faith sometimes looks like a great crowd and people get saved, but sometimes faith is just you and your family. Our first year when we started Bible college, you know, we didn't have you know, 20 soft services and see if it was going to work out. Man, we went and knocked 10,000 doors at over 200 prospects. Our first service, 59 adults came, you know, 10 were saved. One of the people that got saved was an ex-Catholic priest, and he got saved in our services. And it was great. We were celebrating. We had a lot of kids come, and and, and it, was, it was awesome. Two weeks later, and, and by the way, we started with Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There was like no gradual, you know, who, what if nobody comes? Where, what was the family? I was like, it's time to conquer Hermosillo. Let's do this. We had 59 in the morning. We had, I think it was 18 Sunday night. We had eight Wednesday. But then there came a time when no one came. It was a Wednesday night. And by the way, at a missions conference, I made one important decision when I was in Bible college. There was a missionary that came. I don't remember his name. He was from Germany. He, he was preaching that for three years he preached to his family. 
I remember coming forward to the altar and I said, Lord, if one day no one comes, I'm still going to have a service. Man, that, that, that missionary encouraged my heart. And I thought, if no one ever comes, I'm just going to preach. Well, that day came. <laughs> it's one thing to make decisions. Another is to fulfill them. I'm sitting there with my wife, and we're just looking at us like, man, it's 7.05. There's nobody here. And I told Maggie, my wife, I said, hey, well, go start your children's program. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I'm about to have service. And she's looking at me, you serious? I'm serious. I don't know if I can do it in front of you, though, but you go ahead and start your Bible, you know, your Bible class. You know, I just, I'm going to do service. And so I'm leading music, and, and literally, I'm speaking in plural. Hey, everybody, stand up. We're, we're about to sing a couple of times. And I'm leading music. I'm, I'm sitting there looking like a fool. I said, well, let's open your Bibles, stand. There's nobody there. And I'm sitting there reading the scriptures, and I'm, and, and I'm about to pray. And I hear somebody answer. So I'm praying, Lord, bless this service. I ask you, you work in people's heart. And this young man answers in the back, and he's kind of like looking. He said, is there service? I'm like, yes, there is. Come on, sit down. You know? <laughs> hey, by the way. One million could have come. One was great. Amen. I, mean, I was just like, oh, praise the Lord. You know, one person came. You realize God takes you to a point that you appreciate the one. And I was just like, this is, this is amazing. I get to preach to one person. And I'm preaching away. That young guy, he's sitting there in the back like, man, this is weird. Because he, he'd realized he was the only one there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you, know, 40, you know, 30 minutes later, right before the service was ending, two more people came in. And uh, I finished the service. The young man came. He's like, was I really the only one there? I was like, yeah. He said, you know, I was waiting for my dad. Those two other people were his dad and his sister. And he was outside waiting for them. They came late, so he came in late. He said, I could hear you sing. What, what was that? I wanted to say it was me acting like a fool. But really, I was like, no, well, I started a service. And I told that young person, you know, many years ago, I made a promise to the Lord that no matter, if no one came, I'm still going to have a service for him. I'm going to have the faith to just preach. You know, that young person right now is my assistant pastor. And when he started helping me with the youth, and he was like, what if nobody comes? I'm like, Edgar, you know what you're going to do if no one comes. I'm like, God will never give you youth. If, you, if you're not willing to preach your heart out to two people, why is God going to bring you 20 or 30? I mean, if you despise the one, why, why do you want to have more? And I had no idea God was preparing me to give my future assistant pastor one of the biggest lessons that no Bible college can actually give you because it, it, only God could have ordained that to happen. And so I get to tell him, hey, it doesn't matter who comes. We're going to do our job for the Lord. And if many people get there, but you know what? You know how you feel when no one's there? I'll tell you how I felt. I felt like a failure. I felt like, man, this is low moment in my life. But I'm sure Abraham from heaven is saying, hey, keep believing. Don't lose faith. It took 25 years for my promise to come. You keep believing, keep working, keep believing. Keep doing what God told you to do. Don't lose faith, just keep going. It's not going to be easy. Nothing that God tells you to do will be easy or else it's not faith. 
Don't expect things to be easy. Secondly, not only do we learn from Abraham, and of course there's so many, you know, heroes of the faith, that are really very selective. Let me talk about Jacob. Jacob screams, keep fighting. Notice verse 20 in chapter 11. Jacob is mentioned here. And, and the Bible says in verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. You know, Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob had made some pretty bad decisions. Jacob was the people that, you know, makes a mess out of his life and he runs away. And he never faced his problems. You know, he ran away from his brother. He ran away from Laban. He, he was just always running because his life was completely out of order. But his life caught up with him. Just like your life will catch up to you if you don't get some things in order. You know, I don't know how it is now, but I remember back then when we were in college, I still remember those, you know, music checks and the, and the, and the car checks, you know what I mean? And I, with, the, you know, with the student body this big, I don't even know how that works out, but I still remember, you know, everybody, turn in your keys. We're about to go check your car to see what kind of music you have. I still remember standing in line to check our haircuts. By the way, we should have one right now after this, you know. See how that's going. You know, and I, I still remember that. And I appreciated the pressure. Somebody, you know, making sure we're in line. And I, I'm just telling you, you know, mama's boys need to grow up. They need to be determined why you're here. Be a man. Don't go crying to mommy all the time. You need to just grow up. You need to put some roots down. You need to be kind of screamed at your face a couple of times. It's good for you. Amen? It's good. Many here might be running away from something. Many here probably have already kind of messed up your testimony, and you think that the solution is to go to another Bible college. By the way, your heart is following you, so whatever you did here, if you don't get that right, you're going to do it over there. But there's one thing I love about the story of Jacob. We learn from him that no matter how deep you think you're sinking, so as long as God is on the throne, he's always like this with you. Come on, I'm, I'm with, I'm, I'm, I want to help you. And you might have messed up, or maybe your life is out of order. Something's going on in your heart. You know probably you're dealing with something. But so as long as God is on the throne and you're willing to step up and fight for it, he's willing to bless you. And so we learn from Jacob that, man, you can fight for a blessing. When Jacob wrestles with God, he could have quit like all the other times. He could have just run away just like all the other times, but not this time. He was tired of running. He realized now that his decision-making had affected him. It was time to fight for a change. It was time to fight for something to happen in his life. I remember having to come to Bible college, and not everything in my life was in order yet. I'd only been saved a year and a half, almost two years before I came to Bible college. I had to fight for a change. I had to tell my parents, hey, can you take the television away from, from, the, from our living room here? 
Mano was like, why? I I'm just simply not strong enough not to watch what I shouldn't be watching. I still remember grabbing all my worldly music and throwing it away. And then picking it up at one in the morning and putting it back underneath my, my, my bed. Until the day I grabbed some scissors and started cutting them. It saddens my heart that now everything's being Christianized. If I wanted to, I guess now I can listen to that music because now it has Christ in it. So now that makes it Christian. Someday, I guess, some Christian marijuana is going to come out. Amen? And that's not going to happen. I still remember one day, a um, pastor was preaching on music. Man, I went home, I took out that bag, and I grabbed some scissors. And I had to break all my CDs because I didn't want, there's no returning here. I was like, man, I'm just going to break everything down. I threw them away. And I was in tears. You know, God doesn't need you to be great. He does need you to be clean. He doesn't need you to be great. But you do need to be clean. Anything God places in your heart is worth the fight. Everything. You can try to accomplish anything, but it won't come without a fight. I forged my baptism certificate to be baptized. I don't know if that's legit or not, but I mean, I, I got baptized. You know, in the world, when I got demerits in class, I used to forge my mom. So I get in trouble many times. But I figured my mom doesn't come to church. They don't even know what my mom's signature looks like. She didn't want me to be baptized. And so I, I grabbed the pen, and that Sunday morning, because she would not sign, I signed it. Uh, Lord, forgive me. I don't, I don't even know if that was good or not, okay? But when you take, <laughs> you know, but I got baptized. And I came home, and I, was like, I told my mom, look, I was baptized. And I remember things not going well at home because of that. But I knew God wanted me to be baptized. My parents didn't want me to preach. But I knew God wanted me, wanted me to preach. I told my mom on a Friday afternoon, this was a couple of months before our first semester at Bible college, my very first semester. And she's sitting there thinking, no, you know, this, we don't want you to do this. My stepdad and my mom, they were very upset. So that Friday, I told my mom, I said, mom, look, if you have me choose between you and God, you're going to lose. In the end of my life, I'm going to be judged by Christ i got to make sure I do what he wants me to do. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do. If I have to move out, if you kick me out, whatever you want to do, but I'm going to serve Christ. And I remember she started crying, and then I started crying. And I, I just, I felt like this is just another bad moment. Saturday I went door knocking, and I still thought, man, I just feel so horrible that things are going like that in my house. Sunday morning, my mom said, Tell the bus not to pick you up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop you off at church. Perfect. Well, she didn't just drop me off. You see, when my mom came and dropped me off at church, it was like Mission Impossible. You know, she never stopped the car, like jump out of the car, you know, do some, you know, you had to do some miracle to come out of the car. She actually parked in the parking lot. And she said, Luis, I don't know what's going on in your life. 
but it's hurting our relationship now. I need to find out what's going on in this church. And so I'm, I'm walking with my mom, and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, let the pastor not preach against the Catholic church, please. You know, please. You know, please, 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 you know. And we were in the, we were in the Spanish ministry, and the Spanish pastor, I mean, he went off on the great whore of Babylon. I mean, literally, I, would, I, I was not looking at my mom the whole time. I was like, she's never coming back. She is never coming back. There's no way. But here's a great thing. When you preach with conviction, God does way more than you think. When the altar came, came, she raised her hand to get saved. Hey, you could not stop the tears coming down from my eyes. I was walking down with my mom, and, and you know, the ladies were coming to get her. It's like, no, no, you get out. This is mine. I've been working months on this one. I'm not giving her up. I led my mom to Christ. The following week, she got baptized. It's worth the fight. Some of my family members have been saved. It's worth the fight. It's worth the ridicule. It's worth that people may look at you weird. It's worth it. Every single second of that is worth it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith, said Paul. It's worth the fight. And I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what breaks your heart today. I don't know what you have to go in God in prayer about. But it's worth the fight. Keep believing. Keep fighting. Keep praying. It's worth the fight. No matter how good you think you are. In order to, success, to have success according to God's eyes... You need to fight. One time when we were in Bible college, we decided to have an all-night prayer meeting. Well, that only went up until like 1 in the morning. I remember falling asleep, and I just, we all woke up and like, well, I'm never preaching against the disciples not praying for an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those things that, you know, you realize, you know, it was just not, it didn't go well for us in that moment. But it's so funny now in life, being in Mexico, oh, there's been those moments where, where you can't sleep, where you have to pray. Because God puts you in those situations that you have to pray. Because in order for you to grow, you will grow through brokenness, through tears, through moments of anxiety, through moments where you have no idea how things are going to turn out. And God is growing you. But you know what many people do? Instead of fighting for their blessing, they quit and they leave. You don't want to die as a premature Christian where every opportunity God gives you to grow, you back away from it because it hurts too much. Fight for your blessing. Pray it through. And see, from Abraham, he screams, hey, keep believing. Not everything you're going to get from one day to another. With Jacob, it's like, keep fighting. You messed up, keep fighting. Fight for your blessing. You might be the deceiver, but after the fight, man, Jacob was Israel the chosen. Things changed. I want to finish thirdly here. Not only do we learn from Abraham or from Jacob, but many, number three, many scream, keep things in perspective. Many scream, keep things in perspective. Notice in verse 32, really quick. 
of chapter 11. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Joseph. And uh, uh, jo Joseph the, and David and, and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith, notice this, they subdued kingdoms, brought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped, stopped um, mouths of lions. And, you know, we, we read faith and we're like, yes, amen, amen. But here's where you put things in perspective. That, that same faith that brought them victory, notice verse 35 now. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tor tortured, accepting deliverance, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mocking and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. And they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. Notice this, they wandered about in sheep skins and goats skins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. You read all that? That same faith that stopped the mouths of lions, that same faith had women receiving their dead. That same faith had people scorned and thrown in jail and wandered in the dead. That same faith. You know what we learn from this group of people that the Bible never mentions? You need to have perspective in life. I know, you know, we, we look at Lancaster and it's such a blessing to see what God can do. But you need to have perspective when you start. This is not how Pastor Chapel started. He started with 18 people and nasty carpet. Look at the pictures. <laughs> That's how it starts. And the great thing about the heroes of the faith was not that all of them were victorious in the sight of the world. They were not all mega church pastors. The awesome thing about the faith is that many of them looked like failures. They wandered in the desert. They were homeless. They were thrown in jail. The reason why so many are scared to surrender their, their lives to missions is because you want to guarantee that you will be successful. You want to guarantee that you will be famous, that you'll have everything in order, that your church will grow. The reason why so many leave the ministry is because things don't go how they planned it. Been there, done that, but I haven't left the ministry. You just got to keep fighting. I don't know how many things. COVID was not in my plans. They lose perspective. What if God's will for you is to die for him? What if God's will for you is to do something so great that first looks like such a great failure? You realize that our Bible is a result of many deaths and martyrs. They, they didn't look too successful. But thank God they did it. We have the Bible. And so maybe what God wants you to do, it may not be great in the eyes of the world. But man, the only thing we need is Jesus' applause. It doesn't matter who else is applauding or not. We just need his approval. And maybe our faith will take you there. 
faith you know, triumphs through pain. When we first got to Mexico, and I'll finish with this, our second year, we started receiving phone calls. People wanted to, you know, um, take one of my children for ransom and so forth. And um, I didn't know what to do. There was not a class here in college about what to do when that happens. I just started praying. It got very bad, though, when I walked into the, one, of the, one of the doors in the church, and there was a yellow envelope there with some photos of Maggie and my kids in grocery shopping. And I thought, man, what do I do? And I, I told Maggie, I said, Maggie, you need to go back to Lancaster. I'm going to stay. I don't know what this all means. And, um, and I called pastor. Pastor's like, you know, you got to come. I said, no, I think I'm going to stay, but I'm going to send Maggie and the kids uh, because I don't, you, you know, without my kids and my family, they can't threaten me with anything. I mean, I'll, I'll do fine. And I remember I told Maggie, and I said, Maggie, uh, I need you to go back. Do your bags. You, we, you need to go fast. And my sweet wife, thankful for a godly wife, she said to me, well, do you think you're the only one with the calling? <laughs> She's like, we came here as a family. We're not, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. And this is what she said. If we die, we die as a family. Oh, that just sunk my heart. I'm like, Maggie, this is no. She's like, I'm not going. I'm staying. If you have the faith to say, I'm going to stay. I said, okay, well, the months came by. We kept getting all these phone calls. We were trying not even to answer the phone. My son, around, uh, I think it was like 5 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, comes running into my office and says, Dad, there are men with machine guns outside. And I grabbed my wife, and, you know, excuse my, my very strong faith, but I grabbed my wife by the shoulders and said, Maggie, today we die. <laughs> It wasn't great faith, you know, I mean, it's just, I was so under stress, that was the first thing that came to my mouth, okay, <laughs> I mean, not, not, not very encouraging, okay, I know that. So I told my family to stay in my office, and I just said, okay, I'm going to go outside, and, and I opened this door, and there's this federal police officer, and there is about 60 other federal police officers outside our church, and I'm thinking, good night, I'm about to faint, okay, because... To tell you the truth, I mean, my hand was shaking so much when I was opening the door. It was unreal. I can't even describe to you the stress. And you think you're brave until you're facing something like that. And then everything just becomes so real. So he opens the door and says, is this a Baptist church? I wanted to say, well, it depends, you know. <laughs> what, what is your, you know, I wanted to say that. I didn't say that. I just said, well, it all depends. I said, yeah, it's a, it's a Baptist church. And he's like very stern. You know, he's like, is this a real Baptist church? I said, well, it's real. You know, yeah, I guess, you know. Are you the pastor? And I wanted to say again, well, it all depends. You know, <laughs> he's the pastor, you know, really. God is a pastor. I'm just, you know, you know what do you, it all depends. You know what I mean? We could justify that right there. And he said, I told him, yes, I'm the pastor. He said, I'm a church member in the state of Zacatecas of an independent fundamental Baptist church. And he's describing to me, he's like, we're, we're stationed. Mexico was um, changing a lot of the federal police force so they would not compromise and start working with the cartel. So they would move them around the, the country every three months. And so 
He said, I'm going to be here three months. Do you mind if I come to church? I'm like, I don't mind. He said, I have to come in uniform, though. Is that fine? That's fine. I'm still like, I'm not dying, all right? <laughs> I mean, for, for a minute there, I'm almost, you know, having an experience out of the body almost, you know what I mean? And he's speaking, but I'm still, my blood pressure is coming back down, and I'm just trying to see things clearly. This, this, you know, this police officer, he had 15 of his police officers always standing in front of our church because if you ever go to our church, the church, then there's this little street, and then there's this hotel right next to the church that the federal police had completely rented the whole place to themselves. So because at that time, they were throwing grenades at the police officers. There was always 15 to 20 police officers outside protecting the hotel, which means they were also protecting my building. But I didn't see it that way. I used to come in, and I used to tell the police, hey, take your shoes off the wall. I, I just painted the wall. I mean, you know, they would just lean there, and they're like, okay, Pastor. And I got to know them. You, you want to talk about a Gideon experience. You know that after they got there, we never got a phone call again. Again, ever. When he came to say bye to me, I, I, mean, I was like, please stay. You know, just stay. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no other way to say it. Just stay. But honestly, I think I would have never had that story to tell. If I just gave up. I don't know what you're going through. But give God your heart. There's so many stories ahead of your life that God has already placed in your life. You just need to have the faith to continue.